pray these things. Amen. Well, this morning we're diving back into our soundtracks for the summer series, listening to the songs of the Psalms, right? That ancient song, those ancient songs that echo in our lives still today. Two weeks ago, if you were here, you know, we celebrated the, the holy and powerful unity of friends. We, we heard the song for my friend from Psalm 133. Well, this morning's song is going to be vastly different. We're going to go to the other end of the spectrum. We're turning to Psalm 109. And Psalm 109 is, is an, it's called an imprecatory psalm. Let me tell you what that means. An imprecatory psalm are, are, is, is one of those psalms that calls down judgment and calamity and curses and, and bad things upon your enemies and the enemies of God. Okay, so last time we were, looked at the Psalms, it's a psalm for our friend. This time we're looking at psalms for our enemies. And these psalms make us uncomfortable. We don't like to read them a lot. My guess is that you have not heard Psalm 109 read for family devotions for a long, long time. You haven't heard it read at a, at a birthday gathering. Because it's, it's kind of mean. It, it makes us uncomfortable because... I think it makes us uncomfortable because most of us in our culture, we're not really that good at sharing our emotions with each other. We're better at hiding them than we are at sharing them. And we're probably best at hiding them right here in this room, in this community called the church. Right? When we get together here on Sunday mornings, we do everything possible to make our lives look put together. To, to make them sound put together. So everybody thinks everything is all polished and nice, right? So we wash our cars on Saturday. We dress up in our nicest clothes and we, we put smiles on our faces. When anybody asks how we're doing, the answer is always fine. I'm doing great. Nothing could be better, right? We sit with our, in our small groups sometimes or our Bible studies during the week and, and we give the answers that we know we're supposed to give. When inside there might be doubts, questions, but we're not going to let anybody know about those. Right? We, we sing the songs, like the songs we sang this morning. Songs of joy and confidence. And my guess is there's a whole bunch of us here in this room this morning who are thinking, I'm not sure I really believe what I sing. I'm not sure I'm really overflowing with joy and confidence. But I'll sing the words anyways with a smile on my face. Because I don't want anybody to know what I'm really feeling what I'm really thinking. We've gotten so good at putting on this show of perfection that many of us, I guess a whole bunch of us here this morning, are really feeling kind of uncomfortable because we don't feel like we belong. So on the inside, we know the struggles in our lives. We know the doubts we work with. We know the disappointments. We know the brokenness. And, and we look around and think, well, everybody else has their life all put together. That person sitting next to me sure does. I'm the only one here with questions, with doubts, with struggles. The truth is the person sitting next to you is just hiding theirs. It's like you're hiding yours. Too often we're missing that avenue for expressing true emotion with God and with each other. True emotion that's part, an honest part of a faith journey. Right, so we know how to express love and joy and gratitude. But what do we do with our disappointments? What do we do with our hurts? What do we do with our anger? Do we hide them? Suppress them? Ignore them? 
It's not what the Old Testament people did. They were brutally honest with God when it came to some of those emotions. They dared to bring all of their emotions to God, and they brought all of their emotions into the community of worship. When they were filled with anger and frustration, they let God know it. They didn't hide it. Not all of these psalms in this book are sweet praise songs to God suitable for Sunday morning worship. Psalm 109 is one of those that that we avoid. So if you haven't turned, turned there yet, please do. Psalm 109, page 593 in the Bible in front of you. This is a song written by King David, and he's dealing honestly with his enemies. And his song isn't pretty, and his song isn't sweet, and it isn't nice. His words are brutal and honest, and they seem to go against so much of what we've been taught about how to be a nice Christian. And we're usually okay with the start of Psalm 109, the first five verses, because there he makes it clear how he's been wrongly and unjustly attacked by his enemies. Okay, so, so here, here's what's going on in his life. Verses 1 through 5. You want to keep your Bibles open, we're going to read through the psalm in sections this morning. He starts by saying, O God whom I praise... Do not remain silent, for wicked and deceitful men have opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I'm a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Okay, so so we get a taste here. He's setting us up for what's coming. David is angry. He's angry at the injustices that are being done to him that are in his life. He's angry with his enemy, these people who are betraying him. He's ultimately angry with God because God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And so in these verses 1 through 5, he lists all these things that are being done to him and that God is ignoring. God hasn't done anything about the lies that are being spoken about him. They've accused him of things that he's not guilty of. He has given them friendship, and his own friends, he trusted them, have now betrayed him. He's lived righteously, he says, and and he's suffering for it. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It's not right, and it's not fair. And David's honest anger at his enemies, at his situation in life, spills out now in verses 6 through 15. He lets God know what God ought to do to this person who has been his thorn in his flesh. And he doesn't hold anything back here. Listen to this, verses 6 through 15. Appoint an evil man to oppose him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off. Their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord. That he may cut off 
the memory of them from the earth. Wow. These verses make us uncomfortable because this is just red hot anger, isn't it? Right? It starts off tame enough, asking God to recognize his enemy's guilt. It's just set up in a, as a trial. You know, he's standing for trial. Verse, you know, it says, God recognize what he's doing to me. And then comes verse 8 with his request that his days be few. In other words, I, I kind of hope he dies soon. Well, that kind of puts us on edge. And then verse 9, he prays that his children will be fatherless and his wife will be a widow. And then verses 10 and 11, asks that his family be reduced to utter poverty. Right? In 12, he hopes that when they're reduced to utter poverty and hardship, that nobody comes to help them. And then comes verse 13, that asks that punishment, that that punishment continue on from this generation to the next generation and the one following. And then 14 and 15 and by asking God to never forgive their sins, ever, for eternity. Whoa, that's not pretty. These verses don't make for very good Sunday morning singing. I bet Sherry had a fun time finding a song, a song to sing for this. You know, in Psalm 109, is, this is the only place you find this in the Psalms, this kind of anger. Probably the most memorable one is Psalm 137. There the psalmist remembering their Babylonian exile. He writes this verse. He says, O daughter of Babylon. Okay, Babylon, the city, the enemy. Doomed to destruction. Happy is he who repays you for what you've done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them on the rocks. What a horrible image. And yet again and again these psalmists vent their anger at their enemies before God in stunning ways. What, what do we do with that? What do we do with all of that anger? What do we do with these psalms? You know, if this, was your, if this was your child coming home from school one day and talking about the bully on the playground, what, what if she came home and said, you know, I just hate that girl. I hate her. I hope she flunks third grade. I hope tomorrow that, that somebody goes and punches her in the nose, gives her two black eyes and a fat lip. What would you do? I think you'd sit your daughter down and say, whoa. Let's have a conversation here. Let's have a conversation about, about grace, about handling things appropriately, about loving your enemy, maybe. You might even talk about Matthew 5, where Jesus himself says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? If that bully hits you, you hit that bully right back. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to him the also, uh, the, the other also. And if someone wants to sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Psalm 109 so far doesn't show much love for our enemies, does it? So what are we supposed to do with this anger that we feel? You and I feel in the face of injustice when harm is done to you. Because we can put ourselves in David's shoes, can't we? You've been betrayed. You've been hurt. You've been cheated. You've been wronged. The bully on the playgrounds don't disappear when you grow up. They just take on different forms, right? 
They become the bosses who use their power to make your every day at work miserable. They become the friends who you trusted who betrayed you. They become the co-workers who are friendly to you to your face, but behind your back they're stabbing you in the back. They become the family members whose accusations and lies about you have broken the family apart. They become the people in our world who are racist and bigots and sexist who judge you simply by looking at you. They're the fellow church members who point their finger at you in judgment instead of giving grace, who only speak criticism and never encouragement. The bullies are still there, and the anger is in our lives too. And and really, it should be. God doesn't want us to, to be okay with injustices and wrongs and just to say, okay, it doesn't matter. Because God gets angry when he sees injustice as well. God is absolutely angry at the injustice he sees others experiencing and that he experiences from his people. He's got a right to be angry at the brokenness of his creation and all the pain and destruction that it creates. And we've got to be angry at the injustice that we experience as well. Perhaps that's the greatest lesson we need to learn from these angry psalms. That it isn't wrong to feel some anger in our faith walk, to feel all the emotions in our faith walk, to feel sadness to feel anxiety, to feel frustration. Those are the same emotions Jesus felt when he walked on this earth, right? Jesus felt anger when when he faced the Pharisees and their legalism that kept people away from God. He felt angry enough that he turned the tables over in the temple. Jesus' heart was broken. He felt sadness and he cried as he looked over the city of Jerusalem. And then as he stood before the sealed tomb of his friend Lazarus in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus was anxious and he was worried about what was going to happen to him in the next 24 hours so know that being a follower of Jesus Christ does not mean that the only emotions you feel are joy and happiness I sure hope there's joy I sure hope there's some happiness But the emotions of this faith journey that we are on run the whole gamut from joy to sorrow, from peace to turmoil. And we need to learn how to be honest with those emotions. We need to be honest, first of all, with ourselves. Right? The path of faith in God isn't simply one plateau of pleasure. There are mountains and there are valleys on this path of faith. There will be times when all you want to do is sing out for joy. When life is so good and God is so gracious that you can't help but sing. And there will also be times when the only thing you seem to be able to cry out is, Why, God? Or, God, where are you? To simply ignore the dimensions of, of our faith emotions wouldn't be helpful or healthy. We've got to learn to face and to feel not just the mountaintops, but the valleys as well. So we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to learn how to be honest with each other about our emotions of faith as well. Because the truth is, very few, if any of us, are as put together spiritually as we look this morning. 
Right? We, we hide well from each other. We hide our hurts and our doubts and our fears. And instead of hiding, we need to create a safe community where we can be honest with each other. Probably not up here in front of a few hundred people on Sunday morning. It's probably not the place where you want to bear your heart and bear your soul and be honest with all of your emotions. But is there a place, is there a small group of trusted people where you can say, you know, I have my doubts. I've heard about God's faithfulness all my life, but right now I just feel abandoned. Right now I feel like God's walked away from me. Is there a place where you can admit to each other, you know, with what I've done in the past, I just can't, I just can't believe that God would forgive. I don't think that God's grace is strong enough to forgive me. Is there a place where you can reveal and right in the middle of the toughest times of your life your true emotion? Where you can maybe in a little bit of anger say, you know, I've waited for God to act and he hasn't. I've got some questions for him that I'd love to have answered. Do you have a place you can do that? We need those safe places, those safe people. We can't expect to live our faith lives on a spiritual mountaintop every single day. That's not how the journey works. It's often in the valleys, in fact, that our faith is made stronger. And those valleys carry real emotion. So we need to learn how to walk honestly with each other. But before we'll be able to do that, we need to first of all learn how to be honest with God, don't we? David is. He's brutally honest with God here. He lets his anger fly before God. He lets God know just how he feels about his enemies and just what he wishes would happen to them. And David's got good reason to be angry, right? Look at, we're going to read on verses 16 through 20. He, he lays out here all the evidences, right? Remember, it's a trial picture. He's putting his enemies on trial, and he gives all the evidences of the wrongs being done to him, along with his desire that his enemy reap the appropriate consequences for the pain that he is inflicting on him. Look at verses 16 through 20. It says, For he never thought of doing a kindness, but he hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse, may it come on him. He found no pleasure in blessing, may it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. And then he goes on in verses 21 and 25, to let God know just how much he himself has suffered. He reveals his own hurts. He says, but you, sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. He lays his whole valley of emotions out before God here, doesn't he? And in being honest with God, David gives his anger and now his hurt 
back to God to carry. He humbly hands off all of his heart emotions to God. And he says, here God, you're big enough, you carry them for me. Listen to that handoff in verses 26 through 29. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me in accordance with your love. Let them know that it is your hand that you, O Lord, have done it. They may curse, but you will bless. When they attack, they will be put to shame, but your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. He hands it all off to God. You know, when, again, too many of us feel like we can't be honest before God. We can't let him know that we're disappointed. We can't let him know that we're angry. We can't let him know that we have questions and doubts and discouragement because that would show that our, our faith is weak, right? And then we'll somehow disappoint God and judgment will rain down on us. But David shows that we can and we should be honest with God because God's response isn't going to be, you shouldn't be angry. God's response is not going to be, you shouldn't be disappointed. Who are you to ask me why? His response will be to walk with you through your anger, through your disappointment, through your questions, through your doubts. His response will be to walk with you through the valley. That's what David discovered. Right? Not only here in Psalm 109, but it's what empowered him to write Psalm 23, where he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice even here, Psalm 23, God doesn't take the valley away. Valleys in life are real in this world that's been broken by sin. But David did not, but God did not let David walk through that valley alone. He was right there with him with his rod to guide and direct him, with his staff to strengthen and protect him. He walked through that valley right with his hurting, frightened, angry child that he loved dearly. It's interesting to see the journey that David takes from the beginning of Psalm 109 now to the end that we look at. Right at the beginning of Psalm 109, where we started, his enemy, his anger, have his full attention, right? He is staring right at his enemy and saying, God, here's my anger, there's my enemy. They're consuming him. By the end of Psalm 109, it is now God who has his full attention. It is now God who he is consumed by. And he's now trusting that God will care for him. He's trusting in God's great wisdom and love. And read that end with me, verses 30 and 31. So different from the beginning. It says, With my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save his life from those who condemn him. 
He's released it all to God. That anger that was consuming him, he's given to God to carry. David here at the end of Psalm 109 ties us to the Matthew 5 command from Jesus. Right? To love our enemies instead of looking to get even. Letting go of our self-righteous desire for justice and trusting God to do what's right. That's so hard for us to do. Right? When we're angry and we've been wronged, when we've been disappointed, when we've been betrayed, when an injustice has been done to us, our first response is to hit back and to hit back hard. We want to even the score. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That life looks very appealing to us. And when we feel like God is silent, when God isn't doing a good enough job to even the scales, well, we take it upon ourselves to do it according to our plan then. Yet David doesn't do that here. David turns his attention fully to God, to God's power, to God's love. Help me, O Lord. Save me in accordance with your love. Let them know that it's your hand, O Lord, that you have done it. He leaves it all in God's hands and shows a complete trust in God to handle this. It's a stunning transformation from where his heart was at the beginning of the psalm. He's released it all and now he trusts God to handle all of his disappointments and all of his anger. And he trusts God to handle that enemy. And he trusts God to give him the courage and the strength to stand firm. He trusts God so much that even though really nothing has changed probably yet, He trusts God enough. He says, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you privately, and I'm going to praise you publicly. He's going to continue to be the man of prayer that he says he is in verse 4. He is going to continue to give friendship to that enemy, even though he's been betrayed. He's going to continue to give goodness, even though they give evil in return. He ends where Jesus commands us to start, Matthew 5. He's going to love his enemies and pray for those who persecute him. Now, my guess is all of us here have an enemy or two or three or four. My guess is all of us have those same emotions of anger and hurt and disappointment, doubt. And they're probably all pent up inside of us because we never dared to bring them before God. And we're hiding them from everybody else here this morning. Well, Psalm 109 challenges us to shift our attention from our enemy to our God. From our hurt to our source of hope. From pain to praise. So dare to be honest with God. Give him your emotions no matter what they might be. So that he can then give you the courage and the strength to trust in his goodness and his love. Let him carry your hurt. Let him carry you. Would you pray with me? Father, you must wonder about your children sometime. We think we're so good at hiding from you. And the truth is you see every part of us at all times. We can't hide anything from you. 
And so help us to be people who are honest, because that's really what you desire from us. You desire the kind of relationship where there is no barrier, where there is nothing hidden, where there's nothing that divides, but there's truth and love and grace, a relationship where, where there's joy and celebration and laughter when that's appropriate, and a relationship where there's tears and anger and sorrow when that's appropriate. Father, we so often get caught up in wanting to carry our own lives and wanting to be strong enough and good enough on our own. Help us to set our pride aside so that we can honestly come before you with our true emotions. So we can honestly find, find that safe place in the family of God. Maybe that one other person that one other family, maybe that life group where we know we can be honest, where we'll be loved, challenged, encouraged, and where we share life truly together. Father, thank you that you offer to carry all of our burdens, that you'll take care of the justice side of things. We don't need to worry about that. And thank you that you have promised that you will carry us through every valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, that we'll never be alone. Help us to train our eyes and our hearts on you and to be fully consumed by you rather than our enemies. So give us the voice to shout honest hallelujahs to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.